that I preached? What did I preach about? <laughs> I preached about the exception. A meeting which is the exception to the rule. And we spoke about when Paul was, uh, had that long meeting and um, Eutychus falls out the window. And what starts as a normal meeting then turns into the exception to the rule. And we're going, normally meetings are, uh, let's think of an analogy, maybe a normal meeting is a waltz. And then for every 10th meeting, there's a bit of breakdancing that happens and things just get a little bit out of control and that's fine. Because we actually, we want that in some sense. We do want that. We want to be led by the Spirit. And if the Spirit is leading us in this dance this week and then next week this way, then we want to be led in that way. And uh, I've been thinking through that a little bit more. And uh, I wanted to, to talk about a passage of Scripture tonight. But it's kind of, I think my mindset is still there. What do our meetings look like? And what does it look like if, if a meeting is the exception to the rule? And uh, Andrew's been talking about this thing of um, if this, then that, speaking about the book of Acts and Pentecost and what happened on the day of Pentecost. And that meeting, by all accounts, was not a normal meeting when men are spilling out into the streets and people are saying, these men are drunk. And Peter stands up and says, it's nine o'clock in the morning, they're not drunk. This is what the prophet Joel spoke about. And then he proceeds to tell them the scripture. But uh, I've just been reading through the book of Corinthians this week, and uh, it's a fascinating book. Corinth is, um, <laughs> if I was a pastor, and my church was Corinth, I would be both encouraged and completely dismayed. I'd be like, Paul, you've got to help, because there's so much good stuff happening, and then I don't know what is going on. Like, this guy, what is happening? But then this is good, and uh, so there's this, uh, I love it. It's the most functional, dysfunctional church in some sense in Scripture. It really is, and it's very different to what we've been going through in the book of Acts. We've been preaching a lot about it in the book of Acts lately, but I want to, I want to pick out a specific Scripture, and I'm being a little bit naughty, because I'm pulling out one verse, but it's in First um, Corinthians 4, it says this, uh, just for, for brevity, I don't, actually don't want to preach too long because I want us to actually respond at the end of this. So First Corinthians 4.20 says this, no, I'll read it. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Now, who knows that passage? Right? Okay, um, um, it's, it, it's in the context of a larger passage of Scripture, but Paul, often in the book of Corinthians, is talking about this thing of talk and wisdom and speech and oration. And he's talking to this church going, he says in this, he says, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk but in power. Now, all the Pentecostals are going, yes, less preaching, more power. More of the, of the Holy Spirit. And you're going, that's cool. But, but Paul is addressing a very specific problem in the church in Corinth. Okay, let me just explain this to you because I want you to see what he's talking about. So in the church in Corinth, they were obsessed with wisdom and philosophy and eloquence. Who knows that word eloquence? Right, they were obsessed with more about how they said something than what they said. Right? And when I was younger, there was a saying, you used to say to people, you've got um, style but no substance. <laughs> Which means you look cool, but there's not much more to you. 
<laughs> and other teenagers are all feeling very self-conscious. It wasn't aimed at you, I promise. You guys are very cool, and you have a lot of substance. <laughs> but their eloquence was empty in that sense, right? They were using all these big words and, and big language, and they were explaining concepts, but actually they weren't really saying much. And that's why Paul says, he says, well, the kingdom of God does not consist in talk. He's not saying, don't preach. Don't preach too much, because you're just going to talk, and then actually we're going to get to the real stuff. He's going, no, the way you're doing it is wrong. And they would have followed someone called Cicero. He was a famous Roman uh, orator. So in Rome, you would, uh, they would have debates and discussions, and the best person would get up and speak. And they were well known for their speeches and how well they spoke. But Cicero says this, interestingly. He says, but, but that eloquence without wisdom is usually to, uh, to, an, to a disadvantage. So even the best speaker in the world says, if you've got eloquence but no wisdom, actually it's to your disadvantage. And I wish the Corinthian church had known this because Cicero was around in 100 BC, but obviously they hadn't learned their lesson. And so they become enamored with the way they speak and talk. In fact, there's a word called gratuitous. It says, it means this, done without good reason and uncalled for. Now, when you think of this kind of speak, you think of politicians, generally, because politicians are very good at saying a lot without actually saying anything. And think about this. The politicians that grab the most attention generally, I find, for me personally, are not the most eloquent. They talk straight. I'm not going to name any names. <laughs> but I know you're thinking of certain people. Because you can get up, somebody can get up in, in, in Parliament and have this amazing speech, and you sit down, and you go, what did he actually say? And you get the firebrand, he gets up for one minute and shouts and rants, and you're like, oh my hat, this guy needs to be taken seriously. Oh, I'm so tempted to say something else. <laughs> I'm not going to give you any clues. <laughs> but Benjamin Franklin, who's heard of Benjamin Franklin? He was a well-known, well, he was a president of the United States. Very well-known president. And uh, there was a famous preacher called George Whitfield. Who's heard of George Whitfield? All right. All the reform guys put their hands up. Rosie as well. <laughs> George Whitfield was one of the best preachers. In fact, he was part of the Great Awakening in America, and he would preach in fields, and thousands of people would come to Christ. And he was a great orator, and he was very eloquent, but sometimes, ben, ben Franklin said this. He said, I could listen to George Whitfield all day, but I agree with nothing that he says. <laughs> See, that is the danger and the amazing thing about eloquence is that you can, you can listen to someone speak and agree with nothing that they say. Paul, I mean, Paul just really... He's quite adamant on this with the Corinthian church. He says, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of the, age, the philosopher of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And that's what Paul is talking about to this church in Corinth. He's going, you guys are speaking and speaking and speaking, but there's no power. 
For the kingdom of God does not consist of talk, mere words. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying preaching is important, but Paul knows that the gospel is powerful. You don't need eloquence. It doesn't need eloquence or human wisdom added to it because it's powerful enough. And he's not saying that preaching is secondary to signs and wonders, but he is zealous for the real power of the gospel. Romans 1.16 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. I'm not ashamed. We all, we all know that. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You know that song? Yeah. Not ashamed of the world. <laughs> Apparently I'm not anyone. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. The simple gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Not these long, drawn-out, eloquent speeches that say nothing about God and the power of God. Just talk. Or in Acts 2.37, I love this, and when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the others and the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Now, if you look at Peter's first preach in the book of Acts, and you hold it up to some of the preachers we hear today, you go, it's not, not that special. I mean, it's okay. I often think we overthink preaching. And yet, when Peter speaks, they are cut to the heart by his words. His words had power. I remember when um, I, was in, I was in church. Okay, I won't give you my whole life story. I was in church for a long time. And uh, Huck and I were married and we weren't going to church for a while. I remember coming to Josh Jen. And I remember Andrew preaching. And uh, I'd been in churches before. And I'd heard really good, eloquent preachers. But when Andrew spoke, there is no place that I would rather have been than not there. <laughs> I promise you, when he spoke, I couldn't wait to run out of that hall because the conviction was so strong. I was like, Jesus, I can't be here. <laughs> and he wasn't speaking great lofty ideas. He was speaking the truth of the gospel. So simple and clear. Don't do this. Do that. And it wasn't like, most people were just going, it's an ordinary service. But as I sat there, I was so convicted. I was like, I was petrified. I was, I was in some sense, I was afraid. I was afraid of the power that I was seeing through this gospel that I hadn't seen before. I'd heard many good preachers about how to do this. And, how, and I'm not knocking anyone. They were wonderful preachers. But when he spoke, and this is not about glorifying Andrew. This is just about for the first time I'd heard the gospel spoken clearly and directly and it cut me to the heart. And I, I don't know why, I don't know why. I don't know what Andrew was doing at this time and what he was, uh, I think he was just preaching what he knew. And then I, I thought of, who knows David Wilkerson? Incredible. Like, if you've ever heard his sermon, A Call to Anguish. Who's heard that sermon? 
No, I'm a hat. Okay, my mother-in-law. Woo! Okay. But that sermon, I, 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 I'm crying even thinking about it. I can't listen to that sermon without breaking down in tears. I'm going, there's so much power in what he's saying. And I look at what people are preaching often in pulpits. I'm going, there's no power. Like, what are you talking about? And give me 10 steps on how to live my life. Give me the power of the gospel. Change my life through the power of the gospel. Please. I think people are desperate for it. And all we get is like, I'm not going to say anything. We all know. Anyway. And I think I, I, I want to say this, and I just thought about this this week. I want to say it to common leaders, because when you get together with your groups, you're leading them, and sometimes you're preaching and you're teaching. I want to say spend more time in prayer and less time in preparation. I would rather you spend 10 minutes putting something together and 10 hours in prayer, because I promise you there'll be so much more power in what you say than 10 hours of preparing and I've got a big library. I don't want to boast. I've got a lot of commentaries. But I spend less and less time in my commentaries. And I want to spend more and more time praying. I think, Jesus, won't you, won't you build this word into me so that when I pray, I can speak it with conviction and not speak other people's words that I've read just because so I can sound good. And that you're impressed by my concepts. Now, I'm not saying don't prepare for a sermon. <laughs> it would be a little bit foolish to get up and go, well, I haven't prepared anything, but I've prayed. Maybe you can. I don't know. Maybe you have that gift of anointing. I certainly don't. I still need to prepare. I thought Andre was walking out. <laughs> yeah, that does help. <laughs> Sorry, I don't want to come across strong. I'm just pretty passionate about this. Uh, um, <laughs> and then the scripture does say that, it says this. It says, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. And we've spoken about a little bit about the power that comes through speaking the gospel, but I also believe that in Scripture, especially in the book of Corinthians, Paul is talking about the miraculous and the supernatural, and the power of God through the supernatural. He says this in 1 Corinthians 2, 4, my message and my preaching do not come with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith would not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Now, to be clear, I do think in this passage, Paul is speaking primarily about the preached word and the gospel. I want to be faithful to scripture. But I do think that this passage and the message of the book of Corinthians and our passage about not just talk but power also refers to the apostles performing miracles at that time and miracles happening in the church. You'd be hard-pressed to look from the book of Acts and go to Corinth and say there was nothing supernatural happening in the church. Yes, of course there was. In fact, 1 Corinthians 14, 24 says this. Let me give Sophie a chance. Excellent. <laughs> but if all prophesy 
and an unbelieving outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all, and the secrets of his heart are disclosed. You see, when an unbeliever comes into a meeting and he sees something happening that he can't understand, there's a conviction that happens. I had a thought this week, I was on holiday in Sedgefield, and uh, who's heard the word nonsensical? Vanessa, you're a copywriter, so of course you've heard it. <laughs> this word nonsensical, which means doesn't make sense and maybe it's a little bit foolish. And we spoke earlier about God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Nonsensical. I don't know why it popped into my mind. I'm going, what does this mean? And then you look at Scripture and you look at that and you go, that doesn't make any sense. Signs and wonders often don't make any sense to our senses, right? So sensible means that you can perceive something that makes sense to, to your senses. But when you come into a meeting and people, people are prophesying and speaking in tongues, it's almost like it, it overwhelms your senses. And you're going, there's something bigger here. Does that make sense? It says this, But if an unbelieving or uninstructed person comes in while everyone is prophesying, he will be convicted and called to account by all, and the secrets of his heart will be made known. And he will fall face down and worship God, proclaiming God is truly among you. So we see conviction come through the word, but can also come through demonstrations of the Spirit's power. And why am I telling you this? Because the cry of my heart is to see the spiritual gifts evident in us as a community. Firstly, to confound the wisdom of the wise and then to demonstrate the power of God and the gospel to unbelievers who are in our church and in our building. I found it interesting. I wanted to speak now about the church and the role of the church in demonstrating the power of God in a meeting. Because the default can go, well, you're the man up front with the microphone. And Paul is clearly saying he didn't just come with talk, but he came with power, and he, and he came with demonstrations of stuff. So come on, Dylan. <laughs> Bring the power. But our scripture says, while everyone is prophesying, Or 1 Corinthians 14, 26 says this, What then, brothers? When you come together, just the pastor brings a hymn. Uh, sorry, I was, reading a different <laughs> I was reading a different translation. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one. Each one. Look to the person next to you and go, you are each one. I love that stuff as a pastor. <laughs> Did you all do it? Yes? Okay, good. <laughs> Participation, eh? It's wonderful. Now you will remember that for the rest of your life. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, that all things be done for the building up. And some translations say for the building up of the church. 
this is so interesting. That in worship today, David came forward, which was great. But did you notice that no one else came forward? I just thought it was interesting, because I'm preaching on this. And normally in church, a lot of people come forward. Each one has a hymn, a lesson. And I, I sent this scripture out to a few people this week to encourage them and to challenge them, going, if you feel anything for the meeting, pray into this. Because we should come potentially with something. Otherwise, we, you're just coming to receive from me and listen and go, oh, that was a cool preach then, or ah, that wasn't such a good preach, or you didn't really ring the power this week, maybe next week. Each one has a hymn. Oh, I love this as well. 1 Corinthians 14, 29, two or three prophets should speak. And the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is seated, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints. Now when I read that scripture, I'm being a little bit naughty, because I'm going, right, there's three people prophesying in this church. Let's say maybe the church was this size. I don't, I'm not really sure. Wayne, how big was the church in Corinth? Quite big. <laughs> Good theological answer there. <laughs> Three people are prophesying. And then it says the rest of them should weigh it up. So let's say, how many can we say? Ten? Should we, should we say ten? It says the rest of them. So let's, let's be a little bit conservative. And it says another person has a prophetic word. So at this point, I'm saying there's 14 people in that church who are actively engaged in what's happening. That's a quarter of this church in any given meeting, giving something or bringing something to be shared with the church for the building up of the church. Now, please, I'm not condemning you. Please don't hear that. I'm not cracking any whips. I'm trying to encourage you and go, guys, we all are capable of doing this. Each one. I wonder how many came today with a song or a hymn or a spiritual song to the meeting and just felt, well, I don't know if I should share this. Well, you might say, well, you preach, Dylan, and you know, there's, there's prophets, there's prophetic people in the congregation, and it's cool for them to prophesy. I'm just going to stay in my lane, which is, my lane. <laughs> I don't do any of those things. To which my reply would be, again, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And then you can pick your lane. Paul is so considerate. To one there is given the Spirit of the message of wisdom. Who here feels like they have a gift of wisdom? Awesome. To another message, the message of knowledge of the same, what? <laughs> to another the message of knowledge by the same, okay, word of knowledge. 
Who feels they have that gift? <laughs> yeah, yeah, hands are quite low. Everyone's like, everyone feels like I'm setting them up for something, <laughs> which I probably am. So let's be, let's let's just let's, let's go for it, guys. Let's just give it horns. Who's got the the gift of wisdom? Put those hands high. Excellent. Okay. Who's got the uh, words of knowledge or knowledge? Awesome. Okay. Who has the gift of faith? Who has the gift of healing? Working of miracles. Okay. Prophecy. A lot of the same hands going up here. It's very interesting. <laughs> Distinguishing between spirits, the gift of discernment. Okay. Speaking in various tongues. Okay. Interpretation of tongues. David, wonderful. I think that's one of the most overlooked ones, to be honest. So who here does feel from those lists, so that list, they do have a gift of the Spirit? Because remember this, Scripture says, eagerly desire the higher gifts or spiritual gifts. Especially that you may. Okay. So who here, and if you're a new Christian, there's no pressure. Who here does feel like they have a gift of the Spirit? That they can bring to church for the building up and for the common good of the body in a Sunday meeting? Haka. <laughs> you all... What I was getting at, you all have a gift. Okay. Do we all agree on that? Okay, excellent. <laughs> okay, yeah, I know. Sorry, I wasn't clear there. I apologize. So we all have these gifts that we can bring to the meeting. And I want to encourage you tonight to go, please do bring those things on a Sunday. Because it's for the building up of the body, but not only for the building up of the body, so that if an unbeliever comes in here, he sees me, and he says, the word says, truly God is among them. I think sometimes we take for granted the spiritual gifts and go like, ah, because it's all the same people on Sunday. Prophecy is just prophecy, ah, another prophetic word. So-and-so is giving another prophetic word. <laughs> and to believers, it just becomes normal. In fact, I think we can go as far as sometimes despising prophecy. But to an unbeliever, they're going, what the heck is going on? What is Matt talking about? <laughs> I, I've noticed often that um, in church and, and in meetings, it's often the same people that come to the front, and that's cool. People who don't have a fear of man, who are not, you're not afraid, and come to the front and share their gift with people. And this is what I've noticed. When we go to another congregation and we take a whole bunch of people, oh my word, the people that come to the front in those meetings, I'm like, what? Like, is that person in our church? Oh, okay, yeah. 
Because suddenly they're prophesying, and it's amazing. I'm not knocking it. I'm not, I'm not knocking it. It's amazing. But they're coming to the front, and there's words of knowledge, and I'm like, what the heck? This is not happening in our church. And you know what it is? I think it's this, because there's a certain anonymity in another church. No one's going to judge me. No one's going to look at me and go like, ah, oh, yes, Laura. I mean, you blurred on Sunday. <laughs> like if, if you, I mean, you were off and then there was like, no, I'm joking. But, but there's, there's something beautiful about that. And I, I, I hope that it doesn't happen in this church, but I think sometimes it does, is that there's a fear of man that creeps in. So here's a question. Who's come to church with something to share on a Sunday but hasn't shared it? <laughs> we, we love you Anisha I, I do love you we really do but I, I do think and I, guys I want to warn us against this don't let the fear of man creep in I would rather you came to the front and shared and then afterwards go like ah then go like ah I don't know man I feel like maybe people are going to judge me on what I say because Paul says to Timothy for the spirit of God for the Spirit God gave us does not, not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Other translations say, for I have not been given a spirit of fear. <sighs> Guys, please, 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 please don't let a fear of man stop you from sharing the gift that you have for the common good and for the building up of the body. And for un you don't know. There's an unbeliever sitting in this place and you come with a word of wisdom or knowledge. You don't know. <laughs> you don't know. And your fear of man is going to stop you and that person will walk out of here and go, I've got nothing. As opposed to someone comes to the front and goes, I don't know you. I just think, I just think there's something... I just want to say that Jesus loves you. And I know, whatever, and, he, and he, someone speaks a word of that person, and that person's life has changed, as opposed to going, I don't know if it's right, they might judge me, I don't know, fear of man. And then there's also something called, I learned this word now, glossophobia, which just is a general fear of speaking in public. Glossophobia. Struggle to talk in front of a group of people. Does anyone struggle with that? <laughs> Andre, no, are, you are you being serious? Okay. No, he's being serious. Okay, are you being serious? And I would ask if that is something you struggle with, again, to, to really pray that God would help you overcome that. So I don't, I don't know if in today's meeting it was a fear of man, a fear of speaking in public spaces, or just coming to church with not really have sought the Lord and going, I have nothing more to share. Or maybe, maybe God's just, I don't know, I refuse to believe God wasn't speaking in worship. Let me just encourage you, please, please, please. I would rather be the Corinthian church with all of their issues, but with three people wanting to prophesy at once, than a church with all the issues and going, I'm too scared to speak the word that I feel God has given me. Because you don't know. I think, uh, this, this thought came to me, this, and I'll end with this. I think we as a church have, we've preached a lot about the book of Acts, and Acts 2, 42 to 47, right? They're devoted to the Bible's teaching, the breaking of bread to the prayer. Yeah, we all know it. And it's wonderful. And I think we're good at it. I think, I think we've actually got a lot better at it. But I want to say this.
can we, in some areas, specifically the spiritual gifts, start to look a little bit more like the church in Corinth? I want to free you up and not have a fear of man in me.